It's a trap! Hello and welcome to Radio TCX, your weekly source for X-Wing news and strategy. I'm Tim Dugan, and I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts, Carson Ray. Hey, everybody. It is a great day to talk about some X-Wing. And John McDermott. Hello, hello. And this week, we're returning to a series we started at the beginning of this year, and now we wanted to continue on after a little hiatus from it. We're doing another episode in our Essential Starfighters series. Yeah, this is where we look at, you know, just one ship for one episode and just really dive in what makes this ship work, what makes it unique, and and why you might want to put it on the table. And after we started the series, we were kind of uh, hitting each faction at first and then hitting each ship type here. So we want to do something different than what we've done before. So this week we're doing the Republic faction, the Royal Naboo N1 Starfighter, which is a light fighter that is actually very interesting, especially because of what a lot of the pilots can do for this ship. Yeah, so let's not waste any time. Let's jump in and start talking about it. Full throttle. All right, so it's always good when we ever do these uh, Essential Starfighter episodes. We're talking about the Naboo N1 Starfighter, which is a light fighter, so it's always good to start by defining what a light fighter is. Uh, Excuse me, Tim. It is the Royal Naboo N1 Starfighter. (laughs) I also kept calling... I type this wrong every time. I always want to call it the N1 Royal Naboo Starfighter, but that is not correct. It is the Royal Naboo N1 Starfighter. Doesn't roll off the tongue as well. I it don't does like not. It. I think it's. I wrong. like your way better. I think it's like a Berenstain Bears situation where, like, in the previous parallel universe I was partaking in, it was the other way, and now I have to live with Royal Nebu N one. It's a Mandela effect all over again. All right, so uh, this ship is a light fighter, and if you want a full analysis on what a light fighter is, of course you can check out episode two ten, where we dedicated a whole episode to talking about what light fighters are and defining them across all the factions. But we'll give you a brief summary here, just so we're all on the same page. Yeah. So first of all, one of the main characteristics of light fighters is that they are very strong early on in the game. Um, and you see that, you know, maybe you've got a couple of them in your list. So you have that efficiency through numbers. As as the game goes on, that efficiency diminishes, but they have a really good early game presence. Yeah, and part of that is that they're usually defined by flying with other ships. So either with other light fighters or even just in squads with other uh, ship types. But usually they don't stand as well on their own. It's the fact that they are just adding on to whatever you're doing. So if you're doing like a swarm list with a bunch of light fighters, you have a really strong early game. And then obviously that's going to diminish. So you wouldn't want a light fighter on its own, like a solitary TIE fighter, um, usually doesn't stand up so well on its own unless it's got some really powerful mitigating pilot ability or upgrade. Right, but they generally um, balance that out by being pretty affordable. So you can take a lot of these in your list or have a lot of other options open up for other ships as well. Um, so they don't take up too much of your of your list building resources there. And like the essential conflict in Star Wars Space Battles is kind of the light fighter versus heavy fighter. That's the TIE fighter versus X-Wing dilemma. And one advantage light fighters have over heavy fighters is that they tend to be a little bit more maneuverable. So in X-Wing, this makes them generally good as blockers. And uh, because they're not as durable, typically, they have a little easier time escaping from trouble. Yeah, and what's nice about that low price point, too, as, you know, like you said, these are these are good filler ships. Um, that can lead to you having some actually pretty interesting named pilots that can fill in your list as you know maybe even a budget ace in some situations, depending on whatever you're flying them with. 
And actually, the uh, N1 has one of the one of the better budget aces, I'd say, in the game. So we'll get to that a little bit later. All right. So that's kind of okay. What is a light fighter? And then now we want to look at well, how does the N1 f- fill in that role, and how does it stand out amongst other light fighters? Well, and it's an interesting starting point, too, because the N1 has the full throttle ship ability where after you perform a speed 3 to 5 maneuver, you can perform a free evade action. So this is the exact same ability that we actually see over on the TIE Defender, uh, but the N1 actually uses it in a very interesting way. Right, so this is where if you execute a speed 3, 4, 5 maneuver, um, then after you execute that maneuver, you get an evade token. Uh, but it's different from the Defender's one because the N1 only has two agility. Yeah, so it's interesting. So the TIE Defender really uses full throttle to improve its already strong defense with the three agility and usually other tokens, whereas full throttle on the N1 is kind of at, at the core of making this ship survive because it only has the two agility and it's a light fighter. So it's prone to take damage unless it has ways to add on to that defense. Right, and this is an expensive ship ability. Uh, it's great, uh, but it makes you know any ship that gets it um, kind of a lot more expensive than just the stats that you get. And so, you know, yes, the N1 is a light fighter and is affordable, but it is definitely on the high end price point wise of light fighters. Like it starts at 32 points and goes up to the mid 40s. Right. And, you know, if you're comparing that to something like a TIE fighter or a uh, vulture droid, those ships are like in the. 20 point range or low 20 point range to start so that's a pretty wide point gap for a light fighter getting that full throttle ability does clearly come at a cost yeah you get a little bit of a trade-off for that cost um in terms of being a light fighter the n1 is pretty durable for that chip type it's on the higher end of hit points it's got three hull two shields um you know with that full throttle ability you get the use of that additional evade token assuming you're doing the three speed or higher maneuvers um, which it has plenty of. It's a very maneuverable ship, and it's also a really cost-effective R2 astromech carrier, so you can actually get that regen in there as well and keep your two shields around a little longer, assuming that you know, you're know you on the table to capitalize on that upgrade. So this this ship is uh, kind of a tiny tank in its own right. Yeah, it's kind of that combo, too, of like most light fighters have like three to four hit points, and they're usually mostly hull. This having five hit points plus two of those being shields really compounds. Right. Well, and um, that two agility there, yes, like you would love to have more agility, uh, but it does kind of balance out with having access to that astromech slot, especially getting that regen astromech um, at, at such a good discount for just five points, because that that one scales with your agility. Um, and so because this has, you know, two agility, but it's a little bit better than two agility because it often has that extra evade token for defensive modification um, and has a shield pool of two, right? So you can get a lot of value out of that regen um, droid upgrade uh, without having to spend too many points. So I've got an interesting uh, interesting question I want to get you guys to answer. If this ship had, actually two of them, if this ship had three attack dice instead of two, would you think we'd classify this as a heavy fighter instead of a light fighter? Yes. Pretty easily, right? Yeah, that would yeah. seem pretty clear. Now, if this ship had three agility instead of two agility, where would that land it? Probably interceptor, right? I don't know, because it still doesn't have... Um the reposition actions like linked to anything else, but it, you know, could get an evade and booster barrel rolls. I'm not sure. Um, 
It is fringy though, right? Like it's on yeah. the cusp of being a different ship type altogether. It'd be like a baby elite fighter. It's it's like it goes from a light fighter then yeah. to elite fighter. It's kind of elite juniors. Yeah, it's kind of where my head went. I remember when we originally categorized this ship. I think we had trouble deciding where it actually fit in our lineup. Yeah, it was funny when we were class like when we had uh, figured out what the ship types were and we were classifying them. Most of them were really obvious, and then there were like a half dozen, including this one, that were kind of hard to place. I think light fighter is the best spot for it. Um, it matches the traits of that category, I think, pretty well. Um, and I think, you know, when you put it on the table and think, oh, you know, like if you just look at the stats and, and actions, like, yeah, maybe that is an interceptor. But when you put it on the table, you're like, well, it doesn't quite have that repositioning leverage that interceptors do bring to the table. And it doesn't quite have the firepower that you see from uh, heavy fighters. I think that one of the things that really makes the N1 interesting is the uh, wide selection of pretty good pilots. Like, we've got some very different pilot abilities across the whole selection here, and they kind of transform the ship in interesting ways. All right. Do we want to start low initiative or high initiative? Start low because they're worse there and on a high note. Okay. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're not a big fan of the Nabu Handmaiden, John? <laughs> I'm not... I I like it conceptually. It's just too expensive. Yeah. It's an initiative one pilot and it's 42 points. Um you can get two of them. They're limited. And I mean the handmaiden condition it's okay. Um I just this is it's it's too expensive for that low of an initiative generic. Right, cuz you assign the decoy condition and then when the decoy ship gets shot at, if these ships are in the arc, they can spend evades to change a result to an evade. So it's cool, but for, what are they, yeah, 42 points each? Like, that's a really expensive investment for a ship that's not going to do much else. Yeah, I think, I don't know, I'd spend like four or five points for that ability. Um, And, and right now you're spending like 10, if you compare that to the Bravo Flight Officer. Right, so Bravo Flight uh, is Initiative 2. That's just your standard generic option, and that one's pretty low on the point threshold. That's obviously the lowest point uh, cost ship here. Yeah, 33 points. Um, this is a good filler ship that's not a named pilot. This is maybe a good contender for some munitions. Uh, the N1 does have access to the torpedo slot, so this guy is a good, cheap munitions carrier. You know, if you're looking to fill a very specific amount of points and you want to maybe get a plasma or a proton torp in there, throw one on this guy. It's a good option. Right. And it's a different kind of munitions carrier compared to like the Republic Y wing where that one's going to be a little more predictable. This guy can move pretty fast so he could get into range quickly and use passive sensors to get that lock. Right. So that's where I think the N1 does really stand out as a munitions carrier um, it, because it has the torpedo slot and the sensor slot there. And so you can have that passive sensors, um, you know, with these lower initiative ships and set up, you know, whatever plasma proton torpedoes you want. And they have that evade token if they move fast so they can set up, you know, weather some fire. And then when they activate, get that lock and fire back. Right. Which is the conventional constraint of a low initiative uh, ordnance carriers that it can't always get the target lock it needs because it's moving so early in activation. Right. These these end ones are actually like really good at just like trading shots, right? They, they got an evade token and then some mod for offense and just, you know, with their price point, if you don't spend too much, I think you come ahead in, in that um, damage exchange. 
And I think just the combination of five hit points plus the evade token means that even if you get a couple ships shooting at you, you'll probably survive the exchange long enough to fire your ordnance. Here's a question, and I think this is relevant since it's only a, a two-die primary. Is plasma torpedo better on these guys or a proton torpedo? Um, you know, there's a significant point jump between proton and plasma. I always... Um, list building want to start with proton torpedoes because they're just great uh, but I think they often get brought down to plasma just because you're saving five points there right well and you probably don't want to overinvest too right because if you're planning on the ship you know might get shot a couple times before it can trade its ordnance you don't want to risk losing those extra points by overloading it on ordnance because getting a plasma early on if you're going to take down some shields could be just as effective in the early game as a proton if not more well, and I think, you know, if you're taking multiple, the first plasma you get, um, you should always knock one down, um, you know, burn those shields and then follow up with the proton torpedo. I, I think that's yes. always great. So if you take like two Bravos, give one proton and one plasma. Yep. Either one is good because you're improving your offensive output either way. Like, I don't know, I'd take like a plasma torpedo on an E-wing, you know, three for three. I don't know. Trade's not as great, but like either one is really good on these cheap end ones. So moving up the initiative uh, line here, we have Danae Elberger. She's an initiative three pilot with the ability while you defend or perform an attack. If the speed of your revealed maneuver is the same as the enemy ships, that ship's dice cannot be modified. Uh, this ability is interesting. I think it's a little hard to use effectively. Yeah, I think it doesn't trigger that often. And so then it's like six points more than Bravo um, with just one more initiative. Right. And like her being at 38 points, um, you know, middle initiative isn't terrible, um, but for only a small amount of points more, you can get what I would consider significantly better pilots with better abilities and higher initiative. Yeah. Not much more investment there. Yeah, and and I think um, when we get to Rick, I think the difference between faster and the same is really um, that's huge. Yeah, part yep. of just like getting that ability to trigger it, the frequency there. They bear a uh, passing resemblance in that they are kind of the same, uh, a similar idea, but in function they're dramatically different. And Rick's is, I think, a lot more applicable to situations, most situations. Uh, we also have uh, kind of actually an underrated pilot, Padme Amidala, Initiative 4, and she's currently costing 44 points. While an enemy ship in your forward arc defends or performs an attack, that ship can modify only one focus result. It's a simple ability, and it's really good. Like, it's actually really good. Yeah, it's a, you know, maybe it seems like a subtle ability, but it, it kind of compounds a lot on the table with other abilities, and... um. I don't really have a good explanation for it. It's just like more impactful than it it sounds like when you read it. Um, <laughs> right, because this ability applies to all ships, right? Interacting with the ship in the arc there. It's not just when um, they're shooting at Padme or Padme is shooting at them, which is a pretty powerful control effect, which explains why it's on the higher end of points for the N1 because it's, you know, the 44 points. Um, but yeah, if you're in a situation where like you have Juke on Padme and they roll a pretty average defense roll of like even, you know, blank, evade focus changing that evade with juke down to a focus suddenly they can only modify one and that's a pretty lousy defense roll 
she's a pretty good deterrent against even double modded munitions as well. Like the dismay of rolling, you know, maybe a hit focus, focus blank, and then you target lock and you don't roll any better. Well, you're getting two hits with your proton torp and that feels kind of bad too. Well, and it's, it's modify a focus result, not, um, you know, when you spend a focus, you only can convert one. And so if you target lock a focus result that you modified that. Right. Yeah. So, it's, and, it's and so even that worse part, that I think, um, that can catch some players off guard and kind of have them underestimate that ability. Cause it's, you can't even, if you reroll one focus result, well, you spent that, uh, you spent your one modification there. That feels so bad too. Like they're shooting ordinance at you. They roll like blank three focuses. That just feels awful. Right. And so that's where it's like, okay, this is like a, a strong ability. Um, the question with Padme is, is that what you want in your list? Because, you know, it is a lot of points and like, it is a two attack die ship. And so in X-Wing, right, you need to deal damage um, as well. And so she doesn't really bring too much of that to the table. I think that's why players have a hard time finding a place to put her because she has a really powerful ability, but she's not that huge offensive force like you're saying. So it's kind of hard to always justify using that many points up in your list. I'd be interested to see Padme in a list with a couple of the new um, the new viewing pilots. Um, you know, they're not super tanky and they do have three agility, but with two shields, two hull, they can burn down kind of fast. And, you know, a handful of them and Padme could, her ability could help keep them around longer and give them a chance to actually do some damage on the table over the course of a game. So that might be something worth exploring. Right. Yeah. Her value might come from the defensive boost she gives others, right? Yes. Well, and I think her value also goes up when you include a lot more of those defensive abilities. The Republic has a lot of great defensive abilities. And so, yeah, I think Padme's value goes up when you say, okay, let's take Luminara, let's take Ayla Sakura, right? Like, let's add all of those abilities into one list. And now I have just this extreme resiliency. We've also got, of course, Lil Annie in the uh, N1 Starfighter. Uh, Initiative 4 has a force rating of 1 and has a couple cool tricks here. Um, before you reveal your maneuver, you may spend a force charge to barrel roll. This is not an action. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's worth saying it is really unclear which of um, these two remaining pilots, either um, young Anakin uh, or Rick, is... Um, the best pilot here. These two are absolute all-stars um, and they show up in so many Republic lists. Yeah, but Rick obviously isn't using the cool trick that is spinning as <laughs> his pilot ability. So Anakin, like right there, I mean, has has an edge. I love that they made that unique. Um, so yes. Anakin can actually do a barrel roll twice so he can just spin all over the place. Um, and, and that actually is a really cool um, trick to have on the table. Right. It's a, and I, I'm glad that they've honored it thus far where there like aren't ships that can often do the same uh, type of thing as an action and then not as an action. Um, and, but that's uh, pro probably not really what even makes Anakin the most effective. It's just his simple use as an ordinance carrier. That's really effective because having even just the force rating of one means if you throw a plasma or a proton on him, he can get double mods with a single action and then still have that full throttle evade on defense. Um, that's a really good position to be in. And he's cheap. He's only 41 points. So, you know, we were talking about DNA earlier being a little too expensive. 
Um, Anakin's only three points more. He's a higher initiative. Like you said, he can take that munition. Right. And so it's just that extreme amount of modification. It's defensive modification with a force token and that evade or offensive modification with a target lock and then using that force point. Um, you just have a lot of versatility in where you can throw all these mods with little Anakin. But now we get to the uh, uh, one of the real stars here. Uh, Rick Lee, one of the most iconic characters from uh, all of Star Wars, honestly. That little movies. droid did it. That little droid did it. Power's back. Uh, Rick's got a really great pilot ability that I think separates him from all the other N1 pilots because he kind of changes what the ship does. While you defend or perform a primary attack, if the speed of your revealed maneuver is higher than the enemy ships, roll one additional die. Uh, rolling more dice is always good. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all right. Um, Rick's is interesting because it's, you know, the N1 does have really great fast moves. It's got, you know, three, four, five straights and those three banks, three turns, uh, three talon rolls. So a lot of good options there. Uh, for setting up these maneuvers that are going to be faster than your opponent. But um, your opponent does have a lot of buy-in into how often you get to trigger Rick's ability, right? If Rick has to turn in, well, he's going speed three, right, at most. He's doing a three bank or a three turn. And so a lot of ships can match that. Uh, he does exist, though, as an interesting counterpiece, uh, depending on the meta environment, where if the ships that dominating the environment have a hard time working at the higher speeds, like they don't have that many threes, or their four and five speed maneuvers are red, maybe, um, he becomes a pretty good counter to those ships because they become very predictable, and Rick is very unpredictable. Yes, he also does um, boost up that value of the R2 Astromech uh, substantially because he can get up to three agility with focus evade modification uh, and only have to spend the two agility price point for the three genning astromech. So that's nice. Um, and, and this means that Rick is somebody that you can just, you know, slam that five straight kind of into enemy fire. He can withstand a lot of that with um, all that modification and then regen those shields and, and get back up to full points perhaps. Yeah, he also, yeah, he falls in that clutch uh, odd hit point total, too, where even if they get into hull, you can get shields back and then get above half. Well, with five hit points, it's kind of really frustrating because your opponent can bring Rick all the way down to one health, right? And then you regen two shields. Well, now you're at three hit points, which is above your <laughs> uh, 50% threshold, right? So they Brought your ship all the way down to one point. Then you regen some shields and they didn't score any points there. And it probably cost a lot of effort, right? Because that's three agility uh, if you're doing that five speed plus focus evade. And so it can withstand a lot of shots too, right? So it was a lot of firepower to bring them down to that one health anyway. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, some Gen Con champions do use Rick because he is very effective in a tournament environment. You mean the Gen Con champion? The final Gen Con champion? Uh, yeah, so Rick, he yeah, he really kind of toes the line. He's um, interesting to fly, if anyone's ever had experience with him, where he kind of becomes temporarily, when you use the right maneuver, a more, he feels like an AC heavy fighter, which is very different than your typical kind of fragile light fighter. But if you find yourself in a situation where you can't 
play the speed of your maneuver right, like you don't have the option to play the four or five, you end up just being a two agility ship, he can fall apart pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think that's like kind of the story with all of these. Um, you know, they do have two agility, two attack dice, and, you know, they have all these tricks to kind of boost that up. Um, but if you don't quite do that, then they feel really expensive for how survivable they are, right? You need to get those evade tokens. If if they get blocked, they don't get that free evade. Um, that's rough. Or you, you didn't do a, a three-speed maneuver, so you didn't get that free evade. Um, or you're playing Rick and someone goes faster than you and you only have that two agility. Uh, well, then your 40 or 50 point ship um, could could go away pretty quickly as well. All right, so if we had to break down what role the N1 Starfighter serves in X-Wing, what would we say? It is an interesting munitions carrier in that um, it's slightly more expensive than your standard munition carrying options. Kind of like, you know, the Y-Wing, the Republic Y-Wing at the low end comes in, I think, two points cheaper. And that's just, you know, solely due to the fact that this is not the optimal munitions platform. You know, you're taking this... Um, because it's a durable light fighter, um, it's going to be able to, you know, take a couple shots, trade a couple shots. Um, the, the munition is just kind of a nice extra little cherry on top if you can fit it in the list, but it's not why you're taking it. And I, I think generally too, this ship serves as a really good diversion because they are at a price point where oftentimes you can fit them in lists with that have uh, larger pieces that will draw more attention to themselves. Rick is a great example of that, where he is a he he is a pretty good ace, but he can also pair up with more expensive aces, and it makes your opponent have to choose who to prioritize. And if they prioritize Rick at the wrong time, he won't take any damage with his full throttle and three agility, um, and then they'll just waste a bunch of shots. And that could be all it takes to swing a game. Right. If your opponent's, you know, focusing fire on these N1s, well, then they're doing their job, right? What they excel at the most is their defense, right? And so if your opponent's shooting at them, uh, that means your other ships, um, which maybe don't have as good a defense, you know, they get a little longer and, and do more damage. The N1s I kind of view as like kind of the shields of the Republic, right? They're there to um, move in really fast and be a target for your opponent so that you get to leverage all that defensive modification and they didn't cost you too much list building. You get to protect some, some more expensive assets there. Yeah. They're, they're kind of the vanguard of the Republic, right? They're the ones they move in aggressively, but they work defensively. Yeah. And, and I think that's a fun concept. You know, if sometimes your opponents do ignore it. And, and so that's where you do want to make sure you have some punch with them um, so that they can't, they can't get away with ignoring those end ones. All right, so Carson, being the resident Naboo Starfighter expert, what are some good builds that you would recommend for people using this ship? Um, yeah, I mean, most of my Republic lists, I try to include uh, one and one Starfighter. And so that's usually either Rick O'Lee or um, little Annie, Anakin Skywalker there. Uh, for Rick, I got to have that R2 Astromech. If I'm not taking that, um, steal of a deal there, then I don't really see why I'm bothering uh, with taking Rick. And then I include the Daredevil talent. And so this one I really like because especially with Rick, like you really want to be just dialing in those fast maneuvers as often as you can. Um, and that means 
moving past your opponent quite a bit. And so then you need to keep turning around and always kind of keep keep your arc on your opponent as often as you can. And so like instead of being able to do like that three talon roll, well, then you don't have any mods, right? You don't get your defensive uh, evade token and stuff. Uh, if you do like a three turn and then a daredevil boost, well, that's um, pretty similar maneuver, but you got your evade token um, or like your three banks are blue. And so you can keep doing your three bank with that daredevil boost. And that's a pretty effective way to chase and keep arcs on people as well. Yeah, because, I mean, you reach a certain point where as long as you're not getting shot at, you don't really need the offensive mods. You just need time. So you just you stay alive and stay on your opponent. Right. Um, and then the other ship I look at a lot is uh, Anakin Skywalker with those passive sensors and then either plasma torpedoes or proton torpedoes. Um, you know, passive sensors, plasma torpedoes, that's 50 points right there. Um, and I think that slots into a lot of lists. Um, and provides quite a substantial punch, plus just some tactical versatility with having that force and um, that maneuvering options. So there you have it, our look at the Royal Naboo and one Starfighter. I think I said it right that time. Uh, this ship's really interesting. It's got a lot of diverse pilot options, and you can you know work it as kind of a, a high-cost light fighter that's got some increased durability, or either as a, a cheapish ace or get a big punch with uh, the Force and Plasma Torps or something. Um, I think, oh, one last thing about the N1. Um, there's only you know a few ships that have this, this is one of the few ships where there is a convention exclusive paint job. Um, you know, you can kind of just repaint the ships and, and get your own paint job that you want. Um, <laughs> Always an option. Right. Uh, but it is cool, right? They, they've they done these, um, a few of them at um, previous Adepticons and then one at the Last World series there. Um, that Royal Naboo N1 does have that shiny silver paint scheme. And I think that's pretty cool, right? Um, to have a few of those. I mean, the classic yellow is awesome as well. But Yeah, it, I mean, it reminds me of, you know, watching that movie the first time back in the day. But I still have my uh, shiny silver in the package. I might have to take it out, though. It's pretty cool. I kind of hope that that different paint scheme was, like, a preemptive move for when they release, like, Padme's big frigate thing as an epic ship. That really shiny thing she's always flying around in. That would be cool. So it would match the scheme on that. Oh, yeah. then I'd have to get a few of those conventions. <laughs> you got to start buying them from the scalpers uh, online. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Radio TCX. If you like the show, please go on to facebook.com slash Radio TCX and like our Facebook page. Please consider going on iTunes and leaving the podcast a five-star review, saying what you liked and why you think other people should listen. And if you want to support the show directly, please consider going on to patreon.com slash radio TCX and becoming a supporter of the show today. It really means so much to us. And thank you to everyone who's already supported the show. Again, folks, thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you next week.